0: We, we certainly appreciate our church family uh, more than we can say. We appreciate you all so much and your love and encouragement. And uh, we love you. We really, really do. That being said, I wish I had a more encouraging sermon to give you this morning. <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, <laughs> but in pastorly love, I promise it's one we need to hear, okay? So we're going to be um, in the book of Romans this morning. Tough book in general. For the past couple of weeks we've been in uh, Paul's letters to the Corinthians. But this is probably one of the, it may be the most difficult book in the Bible, the book of Romans. And it's Paul's grand theological masterpiece. And it gets deep, deep, deep. The book of Romans gets deep. And so, it's, I know for me, for, for, for everybody that's honest, parts of Romans is just hard to wrap your mind around. All right, Even for, for people that have studied theology for a long time, it's just tough. But we're going to look at the opening chapter this morning. And ever since Paul wrote this letter so many years ago, it has been a, an influential document for the church. And really, every generation of church leaders has benefited by gaining their theology from the book of Romans, all the way, I mean, you think Oregon in the 3rd century, Augustine in the 4th, right on down the line to people like Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and even Martin Luther in the Reformation. All these folks throughout the ages have found Christ in a deep and meaningful way down that Roman road. All right? So this morning in the, in the first chapter, we're going to look at what Paul says, and he hits this pretty hard This is kind of interesting. Paul, when he was sitting there in Corinth, remember this immoral, ungodly place, just surrounded by immorality. Paul sitting there in Corinth, where we've been, writing the letter to the Romans, and surrounded by all of this depravity, Paul really wastes no time getting into a very deep discussion about man's sinfulness, Right? Because it's all around him. And in great detail, Paul lays out the many sins that humanity has fallen into. And and I'll be honest with you this morning, for the past 2,000 years, not a lot's changed. When you read through the words that we're going to read through this morning, you're thinking, man, this seems like this was in the headlines last week, right? Right? It's not just a thing of the ancient past. Sinfulness is something that's as real and as serious today as it was when Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And the same road to a reprobate mind is the same path that people take today. Again, I wish I had a more encouraging message today on Pastor Appreciation Day. But in the first chapter of Romans, Paul begins to address these things. And he paints a very grim picture of the situation that many Gentiles, many people around the world have found themselves in... And he says things like they knew there was a God, but they didn't worship him as God. He says things like they they claimed to be wise, but they were actually fools. He says that they degraded themselves through sexual impurity and they traded the truth of God for a lie. How familiar does that sound? All of it. Then he says they went even deeper. Men gave in their lust for men, women for women. And when you stop and think about it, folks, again, it's not changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. And here's the, here's the problem. If we don't stop, it can get much worse. And that's where we find ourselves in Romans chapter 1. We're going to read, picking up at verse 28 this morning. If you'd like to turn there. Paul says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And he says, although they, knew, they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Now normally, I know when we talk about the language of deliverance and being delivered, that's usually in a positive light, right? God delivering us from our sins, delivering us from our darkness, delivering his people from their oppressors. But here, Paul uses this language in a negative light three different times in the sense that God is delivering sinful man over to an even deeper level of their own desires, And so in in verse 24, we didn't read this, but in verse 24, he first delivers them over to the desires of their hearts to impurity. Secondly, in verse 26, to disgraceful passions. And thirdly, in verse 28, we read to a corrupt, depraved, or some translations even say a reprobate mind. And so to give you an idea of what this phrase to deliver over or to hand over means... Uh, it, it's actually used a lot throughout the New Testament. For example, the Gospels use this language several times. Even speaking of Jesus, it, the Gospels say that Jesus was handed over or delivered over to who? The Sanhedrin, or those people that, that hated him by Judas. Judas. He was then delivered over by the Sanhedrin to Pilate to be judged. He was delivered over or given over by Pilate to that bloodthirsty crowd. And then he was delivered over or handed over to the Roman soldiers for his scourging and his crucifixion. Then another time this word is used, it says Jesus finally gave up or delivered over his own spirit to death. And so that's kind of the picture that Paul's saying here. And he's saying that, that there's an active role that God is taking. It's not just this passive thing, but God is taking an active role in allowing people to chase their own wicked desires. And while God, listen, I know you can attest to this in your own life. There's a lot of times God protects us in his grace, right? He he shields us from things. He protects us. But man, when you want to run from God as hard as you're running and you want to chase these sinful things, God, because He is a just God, sometimes has to hand you over or deliver deliver you over to the things that you actually want. And if we continue to do this... God will do just that. Dr. John Phillips says Paul depicts three downward steps into what he calls downright paganism. He says, first, there is a willful blindness, a deliberate rejection of the truth. This is followed by wicked beliefs of either a rationalistic or religious nature. And these in turn lead to wanton behavior. That's what we just read about this morning. And so this morning, if, if that's the road to reprobation, I think we need to talk about the road to redemption. If this is how we get there, what do we need to do to avoid this type of situation? The first thing is I must acknowledge God's being, I know this sounds very foundational, but this is truly where it all starts. In these closing remarks in chapter 1, Paul says they did not think, they did not consider it worthwhile to acknowledge God. And that's, again, this is the foundation where all of this starts is acknowledging God. All of these problems, all of these sins, they start in your mind long before they ever become an action, right? It starts in accepting the reality Of a God that is out there. And not just accepting his existence, folks. But accepting that God is who the Bible says he is. That he alone is God. That he alone is creator and king and ruler of this universe. And there's no other God besides him. Paul tells us this is where sinful man first missed the mark. He says they traded the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator. And this is why when God so long before even Paul gave Moses the Ten Commandments, what did he first say to Moses? He said, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do not have any other God besides me. And not only that, he he, Double down, he said, Don't even make an idol for yourself or even anything that may lead your heart away from me. I'm a very jealous God. Paul says they did not think it worthwhile. To acknowledge God, this is exactly what Dr. John Phillips calls the willful blindness. Even though they know what the truth is, they willfully turn a blind eye to God's existence and God's authority, and that is a trap that we too, church, must avoid from falling into. We have to guard our minds and and and, and live like there's a God. Do you realize that sometimes we even fail in, in living like there is a, a holy God up there, that we are His people, that we have been redeemed? We must not trade His truth for a lie, which means that we can't just live like we're pretending God does not exist. Do you understand? That's, that's exactly what an unbelieving world cannot wrap their mind around, is Christians who live like there is no God. We certainly can't turn a blind eye. One author says this, as many missionaries point out, that the heathen knows more than we think. They know there is a God. There are no atheists among heathen tribes. There has never been discovered upon earth a tribe of people, however small or depraved, which has not believed in some kind of God or had some system of worship. They say the heathen found in so-called primitive tribes knows they have sinned. And when a Christian comes to them and talks about sin, he often finds ready acknowledgement that this is true. The heathen seem to know that their sins must be punished. And they seem afraid of that punishment. They seem afraid of death as most men are. They know that sin must be atoned for and they seek ways of appeasing their angry deities or angry deity. Isn't it ironic that the more that we know or the more that we think we know, The more eager we are to deny this fundamental truth. That there is a God that exists. Claiming to be wise they became fools. Paul says. Let us never fall into this trap. Certainly let us never reject God's truth blatantly and willfully. Regardless of how it challenges us. Regardless of how it challenges the status quo of our culture or our society, we have to acknowledge God's being, live for Him, worship Him, obey Him, and follow Him. And secondly, if I'm going to avoid being delivered over, I must affirm godly beliefs. Paul talks about two different things that make up the character of this depraved person he's describing. One list is this thing that people are, these things that people are filled with, things like unrighteousness and evil and greed and malice and envy and so on and so on. The other list is things that people have become, things that they are or actually things that they're starting to do. And so when a person willingly turns a blind eye to the existence of God, that he's there, that he's on the throne, and they refuse to acknowledge his kingship and authority over their lives, God delivers them over to a wrong way of thinking, a wrong way of believing because they have no foundation or the foundation that they do have is is ungodly and so whatever theology or belief that they have now it's 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 messed up and so the way that they think the the worldview that people have when they get to this step it's shaped by these sinful character flaws that paul's describing like envy and greed and all these other things this is exactly why you can take two people from the same place, sometimes even the same church, with similar backgrounds, similar experiences, and one can look at a situation, let's just use this one for example, because we're going to talk about it today, the right to life. One can take that that thing and they can form a godly opinion about that, while the other person can look in the same situation, can look at the same exact thing through a very warped view of the truth and come up with a totally different reaction. If we fail to uphold God's truth as the truth and we refuse to fight for and stand up and teach and proclaim God's truth, folks, God will have to deliver us over to these ungodly passions because these things are rooted somewhere, right? It's rooted in some of these things that that Paul is describing like selfishness or greed or something else. Paul says this is the place where people justify sexual immorality. That this is the place where people justify homosexual relationships. This is the place where, 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 as Paul says, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we actually begin to believe the lie over the truth. How familiar does that sound? Have you watched the news lately? What in the world are we supposed to believe? I don't know about you, but I think if God said something was sinful to Paul, I think 2,000 years later, it's still sinful. I think if God said this is immorality and this is murder, then this is still immorality and this is still murder, regardless of how society has changed or what new label they want to put on it. So we have to know the truth. Church, this is why we have to be in the Word until the word is into us, and take a stand up on what God says. Lastly, we move from acknowledgement and affirmation to application. This is where it gets tough. I must also apply godly behavior. This is where Paul says the road to reprobation starts coming to an end. And it's also why we must begin by guarding our very thoughts. Because if you, if you allow these thoughts to progress and to go on, those thoughts will eventually become your deep-rooted beliefs. It will become your personal theology. Those beliefs will eventually become your behaviors. And very quickly, most people say within two weeks, those behaviors become a habit, and that habit becomes your character as a person. And when it reaches this point, this is the point where Paul's saying God has delivered them over. He's just handed them over. And they form this worldview, this belief system that's founded on these twisted lies or this, this warped version of God's truth sometimes. And now the actions that naturally follow this, it's a dangerous progression of sin. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Folks, let me be real clear. Sin is the most dangerous thing that you'll play with. You've heard it said probably a thousand times that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and what? Make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You never meant to get to that point, right? You never meant to find yourself in the situation that you're in. But somewhere along the way, you got off track. And one bad decision led to another bad decision, which led to another bad decision. And you began to justify some things. And now you just you look at yourself and it's just overwhelming and you don't know how to get back. And not only that, but you don't even know where to start. And that's a scary place to be. But right here is where it gets even more dire. Paul says that such people, sinful people like, like this, which honestly is like all of us at one time or another, right? He says they deserve, sinful humanity deserves God's just sentence is what Paul says, which is to die. But not only to die, but to spend an eternity in the torments of hell forever and ever and ever. That's what sinful man deserves. And that right there is exactly what the whole entirety of the first part of the book of Romans is committed to, is making the point that we are sinful and deserve death and separation from God. Now, that would be a very discouraging sermon if we stopped right there. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Even if you find yourself in that position this morning. Even if you know, if you went out of here and you got hit by a truck and you died, you know you'd split hell wide open. That's not the end of this story. Paul says, yeah, it's what we deserve. He'll go on to say, yeah, the wages of our sin is death. However, Paul also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This, was, this right here is what's remarkable about the gospel. Paul gets into some pretty serious sin, right? And he lays it all out there. And he says, guys, this is wrong. This, this is what you are. But here's the thing, the gospel goes on to say that no matter how far down this road of death and destruction and chaos and bad decisions that you've gone, no matter how many times you've stood, maybe even in church on Sunday morning and God calling you to to salvation, and you told him no after time and time again, no matter how many times you've let people in your life down, no matter how many times you've just failed, just blew it, the gospel says this. That if you want something different, that if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? He'll take you right now. Don't matter what, No matter what you did already this morning. You, you may be a heathen sitting here this morning already. The gospel says Jesus will take you if you'll accept him. The gospel says that if you'll come just like you are, the mess that you're in, don't go home and try and clean it up. Come just as you are. The gospel says that Jesus will make you into something brand new. Paul calls it a new creature. The old you will die and you will become a new creature in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That no matter where, what ridiculous shape you're in today, you can have peace with your creator and salvation through Jesus Christ that's about as encouraging as I know how to get this morning to give you a little appreciation back. And listen, if you're here this morning, I think little case summed up my job pretty good. The best thing I can give you is Jesus. And you can be saved. Would you stand with us this morning as we close in prayer? Father, this morning we... God would come to you, with, just like we are. God, your word is so sharp. And God, if we were to honestly read through what Paul's saying here, God, maybe there is someone that is that immoral, struggling with those kinds of what we consider big sins. right in the same line Paul says they're gossips they're slanderers they're disobedient to their parents Lord that don't seem like such a big deal but God even that sin put Jesus on the cross even that sin separates us from a holy God causes us to need your salvation and Lord if there's someone here that has sin in their life and they they need to repent from that God I pray this morning you just give them the, the boldness to do that God if there's someone that needs Jesus this morning and needs to be saved I pray they'd come and make that decision this morning and God if we're good I pray that we would just celebrate the fact that Jesus saved us from all of that we thank you lord we thank you for the salvation that we have through your son in his name we pray amen <laughs> this morning if you need to come and pray if you need to talk to pastor shane or myself or share a decision with us why don't you come as we sing listen don't go home and try and make everything right do what this song says come just as you are this morning. thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at First underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.